0: Welcome to Coffee with Dr. Stewart. This show will provide our listeners with up-to-date medical information from a leading neurotologist and neuroimmune specialist. With Dr. Stewart's broad medical knowledge, we will discuss how he helps his patients with issues such as ADD, migraines, hormones, dizziness, sleep, fatigue, methylation, autism, and genetic mutations. I am your host, Kara Stewart Mullins, and I invite you to sit back, grab your cup of coffee or favorite beverage, and let's have... Coffee with Dr. Stewart. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Coffee with Dr. Stewart. I just like saying that name. Anyways, I'm your host, Kara Stewart Mullins, and we are here on episode 11. Hi, Dr. Stewart. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, Kara. Thank you.
0: (laughs) We always giggle, brother (laughs) and sister. We just look at each other and start laughing.
1: That's pretty much the way it should
0: be. Yeah, it should be fun. Well, we talked last week on episode 10 about viruses and cancer. It was a very interesting topic. So if you have time to go listen, visit CoffeeWithDrStewart.com. This week, we're going to get... It's another big field of Dr. Stewart's. We're going to talk about autism today. Autism and sensory processing disorders. Kind of go hand in hand. Dr. Stewart's going to explain that. But Dr. Stewart really was not an autism doctor. I don't think any doctor maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, was ever an autism specialist because autism was not taught in medical school. I don't even know if it is now. Is it, Dr. Stewart?
1: Uh, Not in medical school.
0: No. Not to the extent that you know it now. Um, no, not even close. Well, the reason Dr. Stewart kind of got into it, you know, he's a ear, nose, and throat, skull-based surgeon. And then you started seeing patients with neuroimmune syndromes that we always talk about. Patients, you know, parents that had migraines or vertigo or fibromyalgia. And then their child was having issues, and they'd ask you to see their child. Correct. Right. And then it turned out that their child had autism. Mm-hmm. Wasn't a huge word back then. You know, nowadays it's very spoken about. This is from the CDC. The estimation of 1 in 68 children have autism.
1: Yeah, it's 1 in 20 boys.
0: 1 in 20 boys. Yeah, they said 1 in 42. But their numbers are always a lot different than what the actual statistics are. Well, those are. are the
1: latest numbers that came out.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. 1 in 20 boys. Well, yeah, they talk about boys getting it more than girls. What? Why, why is that?
1: You know, I'm going to give you my opinion on that. Basically, autism is not a diagnosis. Autism is the symptom. Okay. okay, so what I tell my parents that see me for children with developmental abnormalities, whether they label it as ADD, ADHD autism, whatever you want to call it, it's like having a headache. You can treat your headache, but what you really want to know is what's causing your headaches all the time. Yeah. So with autism, autism is just a symptom that you're you tell the doctor about and he tries to treat the symptom. What really is going on underneath the child who has the symptoms of autism is that their sensory systems or the systems that feed their brain information are not really jiving or connecting or talking to each other integrating what
0: we call sensory integration. so a lot
1: of people call it sensory integration a lot of people call it sensory processing all of those terms tend to be correct because mm-hmm. what you're really dealing with is a problem where the nervous system structures have either been interrupted in their development or damaged and I can prove that because we measure them well you
0: have the sensory view system. and then
1: the way those systems talk to each other is using dopamine and and when you get a methylation problem, which almost ninety-eight percent of these kids have, you can't produce dopamine or serotonin very well. Hence you get anxiety, you get processing problems, et cetera. So yeah. it really comes back to a biochemical abnormality that puts these kids at greater risk. Now, what I show parents is basically a slide that they'll know very well, and it's a vortex slide. And basically what I put like at a funnel? the funnel. Like a funnel. And what I put at the top is predisposing genetics. So we talk about MTHFR, we talk about COMT, we talk about uh, problems with folic acid receptors. And basically, I have those too, and so do you. So those don't cause the problem. But if we get a triggering event, something that actually causes a large amount of inflammation or damage to the nervous system, mm-hmm. I happen to believe that vaccines can do that in, in certain situations. Certainly the live vaccines, that's not the most, the only cause of it, Okay. okay? We can certainly have trauma. We can have surgery that triggers it. We can have infections of all types of nature. So I've seen all of those things cause damage to the nervous system. I
0: mean, they even say sometimes the birthing canal or, you know, having issues in the birth. Is that even no, a possibility? No, I really
1: want to clear that up because that's those are the questions we asked early on when I got into this arena. See, the reason I got into this arena is because these kids are off balance. You understand? Well, yeah. And so... I was a balance doctor. So guess why I got asked to see the kids cuz I was a balance doctor. Okay. So what we wanted to do is I really wanted to know what the heck sensory integration meant. And so I started using PhDs from the University of Texas, and we were doing some postdoctorate studies, and basically trying to ask ourselves something very simple. The worse the severity of the autism or the spectrum disorder, how was the brain getting delivered information? And it turned out the more disappropriate the information was, the more screwed up it was, uh-huh. basically the worse the symptoms were. Do you understand?
0: And you also talk about when the insult happened at their right. age. And
1: so when you talk about that, you have to understand that a baby typically has touch and feel the day it's born. Okay. Okay. Visually. Visually the visual system where you see and track really doesn't start till about 3 months of age. That okay. doesn't mean the baby doesn't see light and stuff, but it will start tracking with you at 3 months of age. Okay. Then at 8 to 9 months the baby will usually start sitting up you know, and doing all those things, and that's when the inner ear starts to kick in so they can and basically walk. give you give you information of where your center of reference is. Okay. And then uh, between 12 and 18 months, we have the inner ear and the eyes integrating so that you can keep your eyes still when you're moving. And then typically between 18 and 25 four months, we have the inner ear and the muscles integrate so you can stand up and move quickly. You know, little 12-month-old babies don't run super fast. No. (laughs) Okay? So the whole idea is what was really important and impressive to us as we looked at all this development and measuring it is that the timing of interruption defined the severity of the problem, and which makes sense. So basically,
0: you're saying that whatever the traumatic event was based upon where they were in the development stage, they would be stuck. They stalled it. They stalled it. Now,
1: they didn't stall the brain development. The brain turns out to be perfect in these kids. It's
0: just the information.
1: Unless you've got seizures or other things, that's obviously not not an issue. Or if we had a brain injury, that's a different animal. You know, that's cerebral palsy and stuff like that. But if you stop the interruption of the developmental timeline, you get basically an immaturity to the child. Okay. Their brain might keep developing and they're thinking better. But so they're you've still got a
0: really it. big kid that has autism that may be already eight years old, but they never got past the verbal stage.
1: Correct. So, so they, they, they're they nonverbal. Now, they can have eight-year-old thoughts. Yeah. Understand? But they can't get out. But they still see the world as two.
0: Oh, wow.
1: You understand? Yeah. So I tell people it's really an interruption in maturity as opposed to an interruption.
0: You know, in and life. it's so frustrating out there because you've seen... Thousands. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, he sent what over ten thousand autistic
1: kids. No, probably not that many, but you know, somewhere around six or seven
0: thousand. Yeah. Because, um, and I've seen miracles. I worked in your clinic for three years, and I saw miracles happen. Kids that well, hadn't spoken. We're not,
1: yeah, spoke. we're not working on the autism.
0: Yeah, and you don't really use that word in your clinic. You don't like
1: to. No, because it's it's, it's an scary. opinion. It's an opinion. Yeah. I mean, if you take your child to five different doctors, depending on the day they walk in there, and these kids have good days and bad days, mm-hmm. which is the hallmark of the problem. See, if I have a brain injury or I've damaged the brain, let's say I have a stroke and I can't move my arm. How's my arm the next day? The same the same. Well, that means that if I've really damaged the brain, it should be the same all the time. Yeah. But what you see in these autistic kids is they have good days and bad days and oh, good days yeah. and bad days. What that means is you're changing the information being delivered to the brain.
0: And it's depending on what's going on in the child's life or That's what correct. they were fed that day. Correct. We'll so get all into those that things. Too. And,
1: so the whole idea is we knew most of the time when we were talking about the brain, we're looking in the wrong place. We need to look at the software.
0: Well, you know what kind of scares me is that the spectrum, the autism spectrum that they talk about, and they put ADD and ADHD in that, and they sure. they put you know sensory processing. That scares parents, because just because you have an ADD child doesn't mean that they have full-blown autism. No. Explain that.
1: So I don't really like that spectrum. What that means is that the primary relationship of the foundation of the problem is very similar, but it, it's completely different, a high-functioning ADD child. It's, it's not certainly a difference from an autistic child. So I don't like when.
0: Yeah. They put dyslexia in there. They put dysgraphia sure. <laughs>
1: all you those know? are those are essentially the sensory systems not integrating and functioning well together
0: so these are just again the symptoms correct okay okay because that's what I like about your clinic is you don't use that word autism
1: right so what we're about is what we have found out is the most complex sensory system that feeds the brain is the inner ear it essentially has to compare one ear to the other ear mm-hmm. we measure it um, compare them a thousand times a second at minimum to find the center of our head so I tell people we got an ear on each side of our head and if they're equal we we compare them and we find the middle of our head a thousand times a second. Now, we use that information to keep our eyes still when we're moving, and we use that information to keep our body still when we're moving. Now, here's the problem the reason I think there's five times more boys than girls is because of the way our brain is built. Boys are visual, girls are auditory. You guys love to talk. No. Yep. <laughs> we yes, can see we who do. talks the most on this show. <laughs> but so if the boy gets stalled, See, little girls can start talking at 12, 14 months of age. Okay. Little boys can't. We're so visually dominant as our brain that we have to get that inner ear and that eye working together in an integrated fashion or we can't seem to process and control information as well.
0: So why, what do you mean, why, why would boys get it more?
1: Because typically when we deal with autism and nonverbal process, uh-huh. especially nonverbal autistics, we get an interruption before 18 months of age.
0: Ah, that's what I was. my next question was. What is the typical age? That,
1: so it confused me for a long time as to why there were five times more boys than girls. Well, it really has to do with the development of a male brain versus a female brain.
0: Yeah, you know, and it kind of goes back to that, the whistleblower, the new, I don't know if everybody's heard on the news mm-hmm. that... The, the gentleman that worked for the CDC that hit a, a study that um, African American boys.
1: Yeah, let me let me let me clear that up. For okay. You. So basically, if you talk to a lot of pediatricians, they will quote a lot of studies that are done to show that MMR and autism are not related. One of those studies was done in 2004. Now I'm going to tell you that as a general rule, African Americans do not tend to get autism as much as Anglo. People. Okay. So what they did is they went to Inner Cindy, Atlanta,
0: mm-hmm.
1: okay, which is predominantly African American, and they did this study okay. to look at MMR and autism risk. Well, what happened is apparently the gentleman who was the lead author in that study was going to have to report that there was a correlation between MMR and autism, autism rates. Um, in some of these African American individuals, well, he sent a letter to his director, and he became a whistleblower about three, two and a half to three months ago. So planning, he
0: hid that complete story. back. Well,
1: no, the CDC did as an organization, not okay. him hiding it. He reported it to his director,
0: but they did not. So
1: what happened? It. What they did is they modified the data and they cooked the data, and he became a whistleblower. And what really makes me mad is it's still being suppressed and. I
0: yeah, think, they're saying, "Oh, that's not true. Yeah, He's lying. This and that." That's
1: right. Which is so classic government stuff. If you can't even, trust, I
0: think the guilt got to him, and he finally just had to come clean.
1: That's really, I mean, that's the way I feel. I really get mad. I don't. Corruption in government is no different than corruption anywhere else. Yeah. But what I will, what it does bother me is that when it involves money, which is what vaccines are about, and they're taking our children and putting them at risk, that makes me very angry. Yeah.
0: And what is the, the number of vaccines before three years of age now?
1: Uh, typically, it's about 43 vaccines. Wow. A that's a
0: lot. Okay. Well, we're going to have to take a quick break. Before five. Before five. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot still. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Coffee with Dr. Stewart. do you have trouble with nervousness trouble relaxing or turning your brain off at night to fall asleep then we may have a natural solution just for you calming cream from neurobiologics created by a leading neurosurgeon provides five essential ingredients to help relax the neurotransmitters of the brain who wouldn't want to relax or wind down with a great smelling lotion visit neurobiologics.com or coffeewithdrstuart.com for details neurobiologics we are changing lives one formula at a time all right and welcome back to episode 11 of coffee with dr stewart i'm here with the dr kendall stewart and we're talking about autism and sensory processing disorders we're on a big discussion before uh we went to break about vaccinations it's a huge question and it's just very confusing to a lot of people and a lot of parents are terrified now because they're worried if they vaccinate their child they're gonna uh, their child's gonna get autism so dr stewart we talked right before break that 43 vaccines are now given before the age of five.
1: Well, that's what's recommended. Now, I want to clarify some things just to make sure everybody understands my stance on this. Um, 70% or so of the parents who come to see me with an autistic child, um, especially severe autism, mm-hmm. believe that the, their child changed following a vaccination.
0: Okay. Typically a live one.
1: Typically MMR, but I've also heard it from DPT and sometimes varicella. Now I am not anti-vaccine. Okay, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on record. Oh, I know and tell
0: that you it. told me to get my son polio because we're close right. to Mexico. Well,
1: and it's not just that, but what I am mad about. Is let's say, Kara, I decided that I was going to give you a thyroid prescription and I never measured your thyroid.
0: Not good. How
1: many doctors would stand up and say that's malpractice? Uh,
0: A a lot. (laughs) Almost all, right? (laughs) Yeah. Because
1: it'd just be on symptoms. Well, what I am mad about is the fact that when I check all these autistic children's immune systems, about 70 to 75% of them have abnormal T cells. Okay. So. What That's I'm the killer actually, cells that keeps us healthy. Well, they're the killer cells, but they're also the cells that vaccines utilize to make the vaccine work. Oh. So what I'm really upset about is why do we not, for people who have insurance, why do we not check the immune status prior to giving a vaccines? Because vaccines won't even work if the T-cells aren't right. And if they're live viruses that can't be controlled by abnormal T-cells, they can do damage. Yeah. So I'm really mad that pediatricians want to stick their head in the sand.
0: Without checking.
1: Without checking. So all I'm saying is we don't give vaccines to AIDS patients. No. Goodness. First of all, they don't work, and they can make them sick. Well, those are the same type of problems we see. So I think we could solve a lot of problems because this is the day in the age of science and medicine. Yes. Proof. So why – What? what's so much – What's so complicated about checking the T-cell status prior to initiating vaccines in a child?
0: So I know you see tiny babies like infants and the parents are concerned. And now, again, Dr. Stewart has a nine month, maybe more now, Mm -hmm. waiting list. So this is not to to go in and see him. But if an infant child comes to you with their parents, you check their T-cells before you recommend. recommend Sure. What they do is how
1: should I vaccinate the child? And my answer is I don't know. But because until we know the status of the immune system, we have no idea whether the vaccine will work. You certainly don't want to do a therapeutic that won't work. Yeah. And so what you have to do is you have to measure markers. you In got to blood. check the health of the immune cells. And most parents are perfectly fine with that. It's okay? just
0: taking a little blood from the baby. Right.
1: Now, if the immune cells are perfectly normal, I think you can go after whatever vaccination schedule makes you feel comfortable. Okay. okay? Now, I will also tell my patients, though, that first of all, I do not believe in the varicella vaccine. Okay. Okay.
0: That's the herpes vaccine, correct? Well,
1: it's the chicken pox chicken vaccine. Chickenpox.
0: Well, we they have pox parties. So well, what's the point of getting a vaccine? Well, the
1: answer is the, the point of it is trying to lessen the amount of absences from school, from okay. what I understand. Uh, first of all, many people can tell you it, it doesn't work very effectively. It's the same with the shingles vaccine Yeah. that most of the elderly are getting. I will tell you that... Um, Although I am not opposed to MMR, uh, I wish the timing would be a little different. I think we should delay the MMR vaccine more like on the European schedule to at least two years of age or further instead of giving it at one year. Do you year know of age. the
0: statistics, of Europe versus US? In I, the, I, I in don't autism?
1: specifically know that. I, have I know that it's before.
0: not as bad.
1: And so there's, and of course people can talk about it and argue about it. I just don't understand the reasoning behind the vaccine schedule. Now I'm sure there is some. It just doesn't make a lot of sense from a... Immunological standpoint, obviously, a baby of two years of age has a healthier immune system than a one-year-old.
0: Well, we all know that it's going to change. I mean, it's going to have to because the government's already paid out quite a few claims to vaccine injury and well, autism. Well, that's what
1: doesn't make sense to me, too. They're How?
0: paying out, but they're not admitting guilt.
1: Well, the whole idea is, since when does the government just get to, get to decide who gets injured and who doesn't?
0: Well, up in the East Coast, in Boston, you'll get your child taken away if you don't
1: vaccinate. That's correct, and so that's that's the,
0: crazy to me. Sure. It's my choice.
1: Well, this is Texas, and you know we're very pro-choice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I want to carry
0: my gun and not vaccinate my child until he's older. (laughs) I don't mean
1: pro-choice in the way most people think about it, but we like people's personal rights to decide what to do.
0: Yeah. So, okay, a patient comes to you, you check their immune status,
1: Mm -hmm. then you go from there. I check a homocysteine to make sure the mitochondria tend to be a little... Are healthy. I check the status of the folic acid in the system.
0: And you do recommend typically for people that can't even get to see you, at least give them till two years of age for the immune system to develop.
1: Is typically, that I'm not so worried about um, the non-live vaccines, the DPTs. Um, mm-hmm. Those types of vaccines because they're just what I call pieces and parts. Now I can tell you, if meningococcal meningitis breaks out in your community, everybody needs to haul their booty down and get a vaccine for that. Really? Because you do not want to go through meningitis that is highly infectious. and highly infectious. You just don't want to go through that. So that is a pieces and parts means that there's no potential for live infection.
0: Well, kind of like you said with the polio, like that's damaging. You can't. There's no cure for it. Right. So, it's kind but, of one that might be okay to give.
1: Yeah, i would just I would just do it with prudence. I wouldn't I don't want to pump a 1-year-old baby full of a bunch of sickness. Yeah. Cuz what you're doing when you especially when you give multiple vaccines is you're challenging the immune system from multiple agents and it just simply overwhelms the child.
0: Yeah, and ladies and gentlemen out there, you know, pediatricians there's some out there that have opened their minds to this. I mean, there's a lot of people that are attending your course in February. They're pediatricians, mm-hmm. and they're open because they know that methylation is a key to it, and there's so many mutations and methylation issues right, out well, there. Well, there's some
1: famous, there's some famous pediatricians on the pro-vaccine side, and there's one guy from Penn University that said a baby could get a million vaccines at once. I do not. I vehemently disagree with that. I think that guy I have really to. doesn't know what he's talking about saying that. That is the most asinine thing I've ever heard. I, what I'm going to tell you is, we clearly know that the more agents you stimulate the immune system, more the more aggressive. The The immunologic response is so. Giving one specific vaccine, even a multivalent, which means that we have several agents in it at a time, is probably the way to do it. You don't want to play catch up. You never want to say, "Oh, your baby missed the last appointment." Let's just give him three today. Wow. Do you understand? Yeah. So you just don't want to take that chance with any child because you're just going to make them feel bad.
0: With that said, let's get let's get down because I know a lot of people here. You know. I've seen a ton of doctors who have an autistic child. You know, it takes a team, right? You mm-hmm. always say it takes a team. Where does it where does it start? Once you get the autism diagnosis, guide us through your protocol or or what you need to start doing for for testing and treatment and methylation support. And- well,
1: methylation deficiencies in children with spectrum abnormalities of all types approach 98 percent wow okay I'd probably say a hundred but I've seen a few that were kind of questionable from the markers Mm -hmm. but the long and the short of it is methylation plays a huge role not only because it supports the immune system supports recovery of the nervous system because you have to have the proper forms of folic acid and b12 but it also helps dopamine and serotonin function and functionality and reproduction in the system and so
0: well and we also know that autistic kids don't eat well well because they're very picky and texture sensitive so they're not getting it from food so well, they've got to get it from somewhere
1: the problem is you can get all the folic acid you want from food it's got to be in the right form but with a methylation issue you can't convert it
0: cause. but I'm just talking about food in general you know like yeah, we have parents that come in that you know that buy all the, the multivitamins they're methylating the child you know as well sure and the super greens products and just sure. trying to get some nutrition into the child because that can make a wor- big world of difference and like let's talk about diet getting the gluten
1: what you're doing in children who have this I mean modification of methylation abnormalities, you're trying to control sources of inflammation. Okay. So what I tell people is that I basically draw them a diagram of boxes that we stack on top of each other. And if we reach a certain threshold of too much inflammation, we have a child who becomes symptomatic. So we can't control stress of life. We can't control unexpected things. We can't control unavoidable things like getting sick. But we can control the, the, the other four which really has to do with hormonal status, okay, meaning that we have to have good thyroid. You know, as we get into older children, we need to have proper steroid production, etc. We can control food sensitivities, what we eat, and most people don't realize that it's not an IgE reaction to foods, like you pop a peanut in your mouth and your face starts swelling.
0: Yeah, it's just a mild.
1: But it's what we call a delayed food sensitivity, which means the reaction occurs in the GI tract two to 12 hours after you eat a food.
0: So you have like a, a test that tests for 95 foods. Correct. And, just every, just and most doctors blood.
1: have that, and that will tell you what you're doing. Now, the big five for foods to typically avoid mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. gluten, um, dairy of cow's milk origin, yeah, uh, soy, eggs, and yeast. Okay, and then nuts are not too far behind that. I
0: mean, parents swear to me that they took gluten out of the diet, and the things that you're talking about in the child is completely different. And I believe them.
1: Well, you took inflammation out of the bowel.
0: Yeah, I totally believe in the child started talking. Or once you started methylating the child, the child started walking and talking. Yeah, and
1: what you also did is what most people don't understand is both casein, which is cow's milk, and gluten, which is you know the binding protein from wheat and other grains um they get converted to an opiate in the bowel Ah. okay so we have gluteomorphine and kazomorphine and these are things you can look up on wikipedia but basically they are opiates and so they can actually drug you i tell a funny story about my daughter courtney (laughs)
0: i've heard this yeah
1: courtney um loved white bread so we would find her in the kitchen and her favorite snack was a slice of white bread uh-huh. so finally we said well we got to get rid of this you know so we took her off of gluten because she was breaking out with little rashes and stuff and for six weeks she was gluten-free and then we took uh my oldest son nick to soccer practice one day and we stopped into a little restaurant to eat it was a little fancier than we expected so the only thing on the menu for for courtney was a hamburger uh-huh. so of course daddy that i am i'm like okay baby you can have a hamburger." <laughs> Well, my daughter is a very shy girl, and she ate her hamburger, and next thing I know, she's standing up in the aisle with a napkin on her head, <laughs> dancing, going, look at me, daddy, look at me. But it took us getting her off yeah. the gluten and clearing her system to show us what gluten could do to her from a drug effect. It was very um, eye-opening.
0: Well, that's what I hear a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of parents, just, just even like supplementation, I say, you know... They're like, I'm not sure if it's working or not. I'm like, well, just stop it. Just stop it for a couple of days. And then they're like, oh, my gosh, I wish I right. had never stopped that. I wish I had never stopped that. Because then you got to start kind of back over because the inflammation has risen. and
1: Right. So, the, I mean, really the hallmark of this is put back into the child what's missing. Yeah. Get rid of inflammation to the best of your ability. The third box is actually chronic infections. Uh, so you can't have Epstein-Barr, yeast, et cetera. The fourth box is actually inhaled allergens. Okay. So you got to watch out for what your environment is. Many kids need to be, you know, tested. Some kids need to be on allergy desensitization. But the long and the short and therapy of therapy is a big piece mm-hmm. of it
0: too, right? Well,
1: well, that's that's this is about getting rid of inflammation. Okay. Now, once you get the dopamine status back in the child and you get the recovery done, you have to have a way to break the bad habits and create the new habits. Ah. That's what therapy is. I cannot fix these children without therapy.
0: Yeah, I know you work closely with a lot of therapists. What my
1: job is, is to give the therapist the very best patient to have the best outcome.
0: Yeah, I always found it interesting. Sometimes you get a new patient and they're like, oh yeah, they're on five days a week speech and vision therapy and you're like, stop everything until the child is ready because they're just not going to remember it. Correct. Right?
1: Yeah, so the whole idea is just making it stick.
0: Making it stick. Wow. Well, I hope, I hope that a lot of people don't have to deal uh, with autism because it, it's just... It's awful, and um, I, I pray for all those out there that that do have a child with autism. Um, and we hope that this show helped a little bit on maybe how you can get started if you're a new parent with a child um, on the spectrum, or uh, you're someone just looking for something different to help your child. Doctor Stewart is an amazing physician, um, but like like I said again, you're you're full, Doctor Stewart, <laughs> really full. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, that's true.
0: Yeah, so. Go to coffeewithdrstewart.com if you want to listen to this episode again, or uh, give us a call at Neurobiologics, and we'll be happy to guide you to some autism uh, specific products that Dr. Stewart created for our line. But again, I hope you have a blessed Sunday. The views expressed by show hosts or their guests are their own and shall not be construed in any way as advice in place of your own medical practitioners. We encourage you to seek professional advice or care for any problem which you may have.